0: Mitchell & Webb Signed starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb with Olivia Colman and James Barton
1: OK, so once Dave's neutralised the alarm, we have to make sure that we're outside with the engine running so that we can make a clean getaway.
2: Sorry, Ken, can I just interrupt for a second? Um, I'd just like to say that I really appreciate the hard work you've put into this, all of you, but I think that before we come down to the nuts and bolts of the robbery itself, it might be worth brainstorming some core values and, uh, and seeing if we can come up with an even, even a rudimentary mission statement.
1: Thanks for the heads-up, Claire. And uh, I'd just like to say at this point that I really appreciate you're saying. You appreciate my hard work and it really makes me feel valued as a key member of the Bank Robbery Project group.
2: Thank you, Ken.
3: And, and I'd just like to say that I totally agree with what Ken said and that I think communication skills have really improved around here since we all went on that course and, and <laughs> put up that blue poster saying, Communicate. <laughs>
0: I totally agree, and I think what that course showed me is that sometimes it does help to pay someone really quite a lot of money to state the obvious. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, before that first morning's brainstorming, I got to the point where I couldn't see the wood for the trees, and I remember so clearly Adrian, the group enabler, saying to me, Clive, the trees are made of wood. <laughs> that, that was a great moment.
2: So, um, just to remind you, our old mission statement was... Bringing opportunistic crime into an organised crime environment.
1: There's a bunch of Albanian sex traffickers down in Soho and they were going with dragging the oldest profession, kicking and screaming into the 21st century. (laughs)
2: Okay, so let's try and nail down what we have to offer our victims that no-one else can provide.
3: Well, it's a passion, isn't it? I mean, anyone can rob a bank, but we really care.
2: So what kind of mission statement could we have that would reflect that passion vis-à-vis our positioning in an already crowded market?
1: (laughs) Should I be scribing any of this on the flip, by the way?
2: Oh, no, let's keep it in headspace for now.
0: Claire, I think I've got it. It's it's edgy, it's now, it's simple, it's a differentiator, and it really reflects what our aims and objectives are in taking money from banks.
2: Oh, I'm very excited, Clive. What have you got?
0: How about aspire? Is that
3: <laughs> Is that a bit in your face?
0: Well, I mean that reflects what we do, doesn't it? We we will all be pointing guns in people's faces as a USP.
3: So how about aspire in your face? No, that just sounds like someone's got a spire sticking in their face.
1: <laughs> um... A spire sticking a gun in your face and taking all your money. Aspire ...sticking a gun in your face and taking all your money. <laughs> Are we foregathered? Very well. Turner. J.M.W. Turner. Turner is a painter with whom I have always felt a special bond. Ever since I won, aged just 18, a Turner Prize. Not THE Turner Prize. I am neither a con man nor a cretin. <laughs> no... No, this was a bursary from a leading art college for the most promising talent of school age. It was named after Turner because he himself was a young prodigy, almost lost to the art world when his father demanded he join the family business, just as my father, despite my bursary, demanded I take a job in a bank. Turner defied his father... And so it was that by the age of 24, he had sold 70 paintings, including this one, and was working towards his first exhibition, whereas I, at the age of 24, had sold no paintings and was working in a bank. (laughs) For both Turner and myself, our 30th year was a decisive one. For him, it was the year he produced three of his most famous works, including this one, and became the youngest ever fellow of the Royal Academy. For me, it was the year that my bank was unexpectedly taken over and hundreds of jobs were lost. But not mine. (laughs) I continued working in a bank. In his middle age, Turner was beginning to be recognised as the preeminent British artist of his day. In my middle age, I was beginning to be recognised by some of the more regular customers at the bank. (laughs) In this painting, the Forum at Rome, the reclining figure in the group on the left is thought to be the artist's mistress, Maria Lackland, one of a string of mistresses Turner enjoyed over the course of his life. I am married to Pam. (laughs) She is not one of a string of wives I have enjoyed. She is the wife I have... Had (laughs) At the age of 62 Turner had produced nothing of particular artistic merit For the previous four years In this, at least, we were precisely similar (laughs) Walking home one night in the rain He caught pneumonia And just before his 63rd birthday He died And now the tables begin to turn (laughs) At the age of 63, I was working in a bank. Turner was buried. At 64, I was working in a bank. Turner just rotted. (laughs) Today I am 65 years old. I have severe arthritis in my hip, I have retired from the bank, and I do volunteer work in a gallery, showing people all of Turner's lovely paintings. But I am at least still here. When Turner was my age, the bugger wasn't even breathing. (laughs) So in the long run, I like to think... I won. (laughs)
3: It's low-budget, gritty, we could shoot it all on video, or 16 mil, keep the cost down, about a girl from an estate in Cardiff, going nowhere, brother's got a crack problem. Old girl's an alcoholic, that sort of ding
1: Nice, I like the shitty atmosphere and your vivid use of
3: slang. <laughs> but then she finds a way out. She gets pregnant. She thinks, kid, future, but she's kicked out of the flat. She's on the streets... Squalor, like it. Striving, skiving, surviving. She's carrying this serious hod, right, but she's macking. I have no idea what macking means. <laughs> this is excellent. Eventually, she gives birth on the floor of the women's wear department at CNA. The shop assistants are a midwife. Hold your horses. Whoa! Stop your horses right there. And they're mopping up all
1: the... Sorry. CNA? There are no CNAs anymore. They all closed.
3: Right, well, Debenhams or something.
1: I prefer the... CNA.
3: CNA's good for me. OK, well, that doesn't matter much. She gives birth to this massive... You see, you don't sound quite as sure now. No, no, you, you just busted my flow, you know, scuffed my sneakers. So that's more like
1: it, more of that tech speak I don't understand. Now, back to this problem with CNA. Look, look, it, it doesn't matter what shop she gives birth in, but the point is... When did CNA close? <laughs> End of the last decade? I don't know. What if we do it as a period piece? An authentic replication of a late-90s CNA? <laughs> Better yet, what if she gets into a time machine and goes back to 1999? She could give birth in a CNA
3: then. It, it's not a sci-fi thing. She doesn't need to time travel. We
1: could find an old disused department store and dress it as CNA circa 1999. Look,
3: we don't need to
1: do any We could C- get some of the old staff back.
3: So, she gives birth to this
1: kid. Do kitty, a tie-in uh... reunion show on E4 to promote it. Back together the staff of CNA 1999. <laughs> Who doesn't love CNA? The classic years. Then, at the end of the film, the whole staff could travel back with her and the kid to the present day and start a new CNA, right here, right now, when we need it most. Right. They could fight a huge battle with the staff of TK Maxx. <laughs> who are all robots! Yeah, this is dynamite stuff. I love what you're doing. I'm going to greenlight this CNA film of yours, and I'm going to greenlight it now. Jenny, bring my green light in, would you? <laughs> I want to turn it on for this good man here and call the set people, the costume people, the robot people and the customer service desk at TK Maxx. I'm going to blow their tiny minds.
3: (laughs) Hi, Ian. I'm back. Oh, hi. Did you get me the things I asked for? Of Course I did. The tin of beans? Yep. The wine? Of course. And the ice cubes and the crisps? Yes. Oh, what about the bag of spanners I asked for? Don't worry. And the small sad puppies? Yes. And the timpani? Yes. Uh, and the horseshoes? Yep. What about the chickens fighting in a sack? Yes. <laughs> and the water pistol full of molten chocolate? Yes. The clumsy gorilla who juggles eggs but keeps dropping them? Yes. <laughs> and the, the bag of randomly sized bits of wood, metal, springs and rubber balls? Yes. <laughs> Hang on, are you taking advantage of the fact that I'm blind to bring me sound effects of the things I ask for rather than the things themselves? Yes! (laughs) That is so unfair. How am I going to have my different-sized bits of wood and metal, springs and rubber ball, clumsy gorilla, chocolate-filled water pistol, fighting chickens, horseshoe, timpani, sad puppies, spanners, ice cubes, crisps, wine and beans party now? (laughs) Yes! Hang on, are you actually here, or are you just a recording of yourself? About half past three. (laughs) And tomorrow at 2.15, you can hear the afternoon play, the latest in our popular series of plays about middle-class women wittering on in kitchens. (laughs) In tomorrow's play, Rachel's life has fallen apart since David left, but is hope at hand from an unexpected source? (laughs)
2: Every time that doorbell rings, I hope it's David, but it never is. It's always somebody else. The postman, the milkman, the window cleaner, the electric meter reader, the gas meter reader, the water meter reader, (laughs) the piano tuner, the postman again, the piano tuner again, because he's left something behind, but not David. Never David. I wonder who it is today.
1: Hello, I'm the postman. I had to ring the bell because I've got this large parcel for you and it wouldn't fit through the letterbox. Splendid-looking parcel, isn't it? Looks almost life-changing, in a way.
2: Well, I hope it is. My husband's left me, you see. Hey, are you all right? You look very pale.
1: Oh, don't worry about me. I've got a terminal illness. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear about your husband.
2: Terminal illness? Oh, that's awful.
1: Well, I can't say it's been easy, but on the plus side, it's made me very wise and compassionate, so it's been worth it. (laughs) Now, let's get this intriguing parcel open and see if we can't get that life of yours back on track.
3: And there's a further 42 mawkish minutes of homespun wisdom in The Dying Postman Who Was Right, tomorrow at (laughs) 2.15.
1: After the events in the Sheffield area this week, that must have been a
3: tough afternoon. Absolutely. Cardiff threw everything at us, but second half, my keeper was outstanding, and we got the three points.
1: But putting the performance to one side, it must have been a tough week for everyone in the town, given the tragic events.
3: Absolutely. Press have been camped out since Tuesday. Wednesday, Leon did his hamstring in training, which left us with bare bones, but we dug in deep and got the three points.
1: Alan, what I'm trying to get a sense of is what it's been like in Sheffield this week from the club's perspective, given the loss of life.
3: It's been very tough. Support was down today, which made the three points that little bit harder to come by. Alan, I'm talking
1: about the accident.
3: Right. The runaway tram
1: disaster. Right. That cut short three young
3: lives this week. Right. How are you feeling? Obviously, I'm delighted with the three points.
1: Alan, I want you to express some sympathy for the deceased.
3: Right. They missed a cracking game, and those three points were crucial.
1: Stop thinking about the 90 minutes. Reach into your heart, Alan. Let it
3: speak. Uh well, obviously, I'm sorry we missed the chance late on that would have sewn up them three points, but...
1: Alan, I I know you're not used to talking about anything that isn't football, but two million viewers are waiting for a reason to close their gaping faces. It's
3: now or never. Right, well, I didn't know those three fellas. We never met. But a point each isn't a bad result, and I'm sure they're (laughs) delighted. Back to you, Peter. Oh, hello, boys and girls, I didn't see you there. Hello, my name's Burt. And here in London town, I change my trade from day to day, just as the maud takes me. Sometimes I'm a one-man band, sometimes I'm a chimney sweep or flyering. But today, I'm putting dead dogs in a bag. There's one. In you go, boy. And now I take it round to some very special children who reside at number 17, Cherry Tree Lane.
1: (laughs) Jane, Michael, come down here this instant. Coming, Father. Here, Father. Now, perhaps one of you children would care to explain to me what it was I found in the dining room.
0: It was a bear.
1: Oh,
2: Michael!
0: But where on earth did you find it?
2: Paddington Station. Can we keep him, Father?
0: Yes, can we? We've thought of a name for him. Paddington Bear. Oh, can we keep him, Father? Please? Please? Absolutely not. For why? Michael Manners. Well, Michael,
1: where to begin? For a start, he's dead.
2: <laughs> oh, but, Father, he's been dead ever so long. Please, we could call him Paddington Corpse.
0: Yes, and with Mother at bondage meetings in the evening... Suffrage
2: meetings, Michael.
0: Suffrage meetings in the evening. That sounds worse. Children, we are not keeping Paddington Corpse, and that is final.
2: Oh. Oh.
0: Can we use him for the shrine? No. What shrine? Well, uh, Zombie Poppins asked us to... Michael? Zombie
1: Poppins, I might have known. That confounded nanny has had you under her spell for far
3: too long. Under what spell? Hello, children.
1: Hello, Hello Bert.
0: Bert. you bring the dogs? oop de scoopy There you go. Hooray! And what prey is this, festering on my hearth? It's Bert, father. He said he found some dogs in, um, Wilson Junction. And we were going to keep them and call them Wilson Junction, the dogs. Children, no,
1: I forbid it. There are far too many dogs here to even consider keeping in a house this size.
2: And they're effing dead.
0: Maybe Miss Poppins would like them. Oh, Bert, she's sure to. And here she comes now.
2: Come along, children. Spitzbox Poppins wants flesh. (laughs) Zombie Poppins! Is there a problem? Yes.
1: Perhaps you would be so good as to explain to me why the children are incorporating the corpse of a bear into a shrine.
2: Well, it really is perfectly simple. You see, the children need a pastime to occupy themselves these long summer days, and I need flesh because I'm a zombie.
1: (laughs) Well, I demand it be dismantled at once.
2: Well, that shan't be happening. Miss Poppins! Mr. Works in a bank, may I remind you that Jane and Michael have been placed in my charge, and that if you insist on prohibiting their pacification of my nameless appetites any further, things are going to get dark.
1: <laughs> May I remind you, Miss Poppins, that a man is still master in his own house. But your rifle. tiddly Thank you. <laughs> Eat this, zombie Poppins.
2: Oh! Now, really, Mr... Wha- <laughs> She's still moving! <laughs>
0: Paddington Corpse, he's a zombie too! <laughs> Bother! Spit spot. feast on the human flesh, Paddington not so fast it, it, it won't
1: reload it got him that's one bear that's staying dead this time now to finish you off poppins
2: oh spit spot. we'll have to do better than that how do you
0: kill her you've got to aim for the kneecaps and then kick her head off
2: <laughs> oh right
3: Well, hoitly done. He done it.
0: Oh, father, you're the best father in the world.
3: Ha 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 ha! strumply do. there you have it. Mr Works in a Bank finally got his children to love him and all, and all he had to do was shoot a nanny. And, and a bear or something. Anyway, you'll no doubt be a bumping into me again doing the chalk paintings or advertising a golf sale, or, what am I doing? I need structure. Bye! <laughs> Our next question
1: comes from Mr Graham Stock Response, who is from just outside in a pandemonium in Kent. Mr
0: Stock Response. Does the panel agree that it was all about the oil and that Blair is just Bush's poodle? <laughs>
1: Well, I've certainly never heard it put like that before. That's that's very droll. Government minister.
3: It wasn't about the oil and he isn't a poodle.
1: Opposition spokesman. It wasn't about the oil, but he is a poodle. Lib Dem woman.
2: Uh, It was about the oil and he is a poodle.
1: Random comedian. My hands look like spiders. (laughs) Now, how does this thing work?
3: Welcome to this audio guide of historic Hibsworth Hall. You are now in the Great Hall, completed in 1772 by Henry Hibsworth himself. To your left, you will see a picture of Sir Henry by 18th century artist John Hayes. The horse depicted is Sir Henry's favourite charger, Apollo, and at his feet are his two lurchers, Scylla and Charybdis. Moving on to the right of this portrait is another painting, and as you're probably already quite bored, I'll go into this one in a little less detail. (laughs) Basically, it's a boy on a horse with a dog. (laughs) Next to this picture is another one, then another, then another, and basically there's loads... (laughs) Most of the pictures are of men on horses. We know the names of most of the men and some of the horses, but beyond that, very little, apart from the fact that these people were clearly a little too fond of horses. (laughs) Leaving this room, we arrive in the colonial suite, inlaid entirely with rarest marble and raw silk wall coverings. At today's prices, this room would cost over £40 million to decorate. And how did Sir Henry earn this sort of money? Slavery. (laughs) So... If you like this room, if you even for a fleeting instant thought, ooh, looks nice, then you like slavery. (laughs) You racist. Next is the pottery room. Take a good look round and then answer this question. Why are you here? You're young, you should be out living life, going to Alton Towers or having sex with a lady or a man or something. <laughs> Come on, let's liven this up a bit. To your right, you will see a beautiful Ormolu clock dating back to 1798. It is worth a stuffing fortune. So why not nick it? Come <laughs> on, slip it in your bag. Do it. You know you want to. All
0: right. Here, get him! Right, sir, you're nicked. Come along now. No, it was the audio guide!
1: It made me do it! It wasn't me! <laughs>
3: Welcome to this audio guide for historic Hibsworth Hall, where another massively dull day just got a little bit more exciting.
1: <laughs> OK, Joe, I think that wraps up the admin side of things. Let's get stuck into the meat and potatoes, shall we? Yes, looking forward to it. If you come with me now, I'll give you a quick tour of the zoo, introduce you to the animals and explain some of the feeding routines as we go round. Great. Nervous? Um... That's OK, Joe. Everyone gets nerves on their first day in the job. It's natural.
3: Well, it is a big responsibility.
1: Don't worry. The good thing about being a head zookeeper is that you do get to delegate.
3: <laughs> yes. Now, in here we have a
1: beautiful macaque. She's
3: a real character. See, there she goes. Lively, is it? Oh, yes. I think we'll be friends. Won't we? Easy, Joe. <laughs> Sorry? Friends is all you'll
1: ever be with that one. Oh, right. Ah, now, uh, <laughs> Now, here's a real prize beast, a beautiful, healthy female tapir. This one's called Lady. Oh, she's lovely, isn't she? Oh, yes, like a princess, a flawed princess. But she's got a cruel streak. Just when you think things are perfect, life couldn't be better, she'll turn her back on you. Oh, so she's a bit temperamental? She's a user, (laughs) Joe. She takes what she wants and damn the consequences. Let's move on. Okay. Right, now, this is the elephant enclosure fully-grown African female called Jacinta.
3: Fantastic. Such emotional creatures. I love feeding them hand-to-trunk. Such a great feeling of communion. I wouldn't bother with this one. Just just toss a couple of buns over the fence and get on with your life. Is is she aggressive?
1: Even worse than that, Joe. She's a liar. (laughs) Right, I'll I'll bear that in mind. Are you a big cat man? Oh, yes, I love them. Meet Sophie the Cougar. Been with us five years now. Hello, Sophie. Oh, what a surprise. She comes bounding over.
3: Isn't she friendly? It's all a front, Joe. Don't be suckered in like I was. Oh, uh, and is that another one asleep at the back? Don't even look at that manipulative bitch. Jim? Yes, Joe? Have you had personal relationships with all the animals in the zoo?
1: Oh, good God, no. no. Only the female mammals and some of the bigger
3: reptiles. And. You've been hurt by all of them in one way or another. I'm a sensitive guy, Joe. Then tell me... Yes? That meerkat, is she, you know, seeing anyone at the moment? <laughs> the doctor says it won't be long now. I'm going to miss you, mate.
1: Oh Sorry about that. I'll, I'll, I'll turn it off.
3: New phone? <laughs> yeah, small, isn't it?
1: Say hello to my little friend. (laughs) Great film, that, isn't it?
3: What film? Scarface. Oh, I've I've never seen it.
1: You haven't seen Scarface? No. Mate, it's number 36 in Total Film Magazine's top 100 films to see before you die. (laughs) And you're about to die.
3: I know. So you need to see it right now. But that's just a light-hearted feature. You're not meant to take it literally, for goodness sake. It's Total Film Magazine, John.
1: It's practically <coughs> gospel. We'll see what the doctor says about this. Doctor! Doctor! What's the problem? You're not going to believe this. He hasn't seen Scarface.
0: Never seen Scarface? <laughs> but you're about to die, Andrew. I know. Well, don't worry. I know they have a copy in the hospital DVD library. I'll get it right away. Brilliant. Doctor, pl- please,
3: I don't really want to see Scarface. It's only a film. Only
1: a film?
0: That's gotta be the morphine talking.
3: Stay with him. That, that was
1: close, mate. Next, you're gonna tell me you've never been skydiving.
0: Uh well.
1: But but that's in the top a hundred things to do before you die. Doctor, get me a helicopter now. <laughs> Morning temperature knob. Morning, showerhead. How are you?
3: Oh, you know, still a bit caked up with limescale. They will not clean you, will they? No, but ironically, we must clean them. It's hardly fair. (laughs) Speaking of which, here comes the gentleman of the house now. You all right? You all right, temperature knob? Is he fiddling with you again?
1: That does tickle.
3: Oh, he's about to turn us on. What's he set me to? What's he set me to? You can see from up there. Uh, looks like halfway between hot and cold. Halfway? I always forget what that means. Oh, oh, he's about to press the button. Send some water, quick. Halfway, h- half
1: and half. Oh, I don't know, I, I suppose it means he wants it really hot half the time and really cold the
0: other half. <laughs>
1: It can't mean anything else. Sending!
3: Okay, here we go. (laughs) Oh, I I don't think he's enjoying this.
1: Well, that's the really hot bit. I'll cool him off now. (laughs) Dear me, if he doesn't enjoy it, why does he insist on this bizarre (laughs) half-and-half setting? Ow!
3: What happened? He hit me. Oh, there's no need for that, is there? (laughs) Hello, showerhead here. Well, we're kind of in the middle of something, but if it's urgent... Who is it? It's your girlfriend. She's not my girlfriend. I- I'll just put you on loudspeaker.
2: Hello? H- Hello? Hello, it's Kitchen Sink here.
1: Is that temperature now? Oh. Hi, Kitchen Sink. How are things going? You love her.
2: <laughs> Who was that? N-
1: nothing. No. Nobody. We're-, we're having a mad morning up here. We've had everything but the... You have everything but the, the kitchen. What, what, what are you calling about?
2: I need a bit of water. They want to, they want to fill the kettle.
1: Oh well, well that's no problem at all. You can have all my water, hot or cold.
2: Um, it's for the kettle, though.
1: So... Kettles are for hot water. Sending all my heart. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, so funny, Temperature Knob. He's tickling
1: me. He's trying to adjust me. Uh oh, Temperature
2: Knob, I just realised kettles are for cold water. They make the water hot. Of
1: course they do, Kitchen Sink. Reversing the polarity.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Temperature Knob.
1: No problem, Kitchen Sink. Anything I
2: have, you can have.
3: Anything that is mine is yours.
1: Oh,
2: that's very sweet of you. Bye bye.
3: Everything I have is mine Jem- is yours. Oh, hang on, he's got soap in his eyes. Oh, Oh, that's got to hurt. What should we do? Oh, I bet the noise from all the water is distracting him. Probably best to reduce the flow to a dribble so he can concentrate. (laughs) Will do! Yeah, yeah, that's working. He's feeling around for something. He's looking for... Oh, he's looking for me! He's found me. He's picking me up and shaking me. He's looking straight at me. I think he wants us to wash the soap out of his eyes. Hot or cold? Not going to clean much out with cold, are we? (laughs) You're right. Here it comes, then. Hot as I can. <laughs> you know, I don't know where
1: they'd be without
0: us. <laughs> that Mitchell and Webb sound starred David Mitchell, Robert Webb, Olivia Colman and James Barkman. It was written by David Mitchell, Robert Webb, James Barkman and Mark Evans, Dan Hobson and John Bridal, Jonathan Dryden-Taylor, Jason Haisley and Joel Morris, Roderick Crooks, Owen Powell, Simon Kane, Alistair Griggs and John Finnamore. The producer was Gareth Edwards.